I am really uh, excited about this podcast. Uh, not the NFL Open. That's a C plus, B minus. Life advice is great as always. But we have Bob Myers, GM of the Warriors. 45 minutes. The Steph part of this, Clay coming back, all the young draft picks, how they fit in. Um, it's, this is awesome. You're going to enjoy it. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Before we get to the Bob Myers portion of today's podcast, I want to start with last night. A great, entertaining NFL game on a Thursday. And there's plenty of people that will look through it and say, you know, we really probably complain about Thursdays too much because it's the only game that we're watching where we have just uh, as many games that are bad on Sundays, but it's not the only one. So that's why it kind of gets lost in it. But in this case, we all won, right? Kansas City won. Uh, a shootout against the Chargers. Mahomes won because, and we'll get to what he did towards the end of that game, because, you know, with Mahomes, whenever it doesn't look perfect, it's like Steph Curry missing a three. You know, like, ah, how did he miss? Like, I expected to go in every single time. I think because of who Mahomes has been and some of the stuff that he has on his resume, we expect him to be a superhero every single time and for stretches during this regular season, despite this Chiefs run, which, again, we will get to, uh, there have been moments where he looks human. I mean, even that pick to... And Wusu, where that's a defensive end batting a ball up in the air, and you think, okay, great defensive play. He jumped the route on this kind of pass out to the flat, and then he catches it. Nobody makes that interception, right? No defensive linemen, linebackers, a little bit more likely, but defensive ends making that kind of interception, it doesn't quite happen. So you're thinking, like, what the hell? Like, what's going on? He had the throw to Mikol that went into the dirt where he said he didn't grip the football right. He missed Kelsey on another one. So he had these moments, and you're going, do I have to? And I don't want to do that. I wasn't going to do it on a, on a Friday anyway, despite whatever the outcome was. I'm sure if the Chargers pulled that game off, you'd have some corners going, ah, this is Mahomes. I'm not quite sure because I've, I've always been all in on it throughout it, even when it looked not uh, to the standard that we'd expect because the standard has been absurd in the past. You know, down 51, excuse me, down 24-0 to Houston in the playoffs a couple of years ago. They outscore the Texans 51-7. to Who does that? Mahomes does that. Um, they were down, 
to Tennessee. You know, granted, it wasn't it wasn't twenty four to nothing. And then they were down in that Super Bowl and their win against San Francisco, where you're like, wait, is he going to lose this game? Nope, he's going to figure it out. He's a superhero at the quarterback position, and I think he reminded us of that. And that's why I just have a very hard time doubting him. So Mahomes won, KC won, football fans won. Did math lose though? Did math lose? A lot of fourth downs. I think four possessions for the Chargers inside of the five scored once at one point. Um, here's the deal with the fourth down stuff. And I've been critical of it as an absolute because I just don't believe there's really absolutes in almost anything. Uh, and I also don't like arguing the exceptions. But as we know, if you're going to follow the analytic path, you have to stick to it. You can't just kind of pick and choose. The only time I think that it does lead to some mistakes and you're not rewarded for the failure is when you go for it at the end of a half, like the Chargers did again last night. When you go for it in fourth down, and then you don't convert and half is basically over, you're not being rewarded with your risk of also having amazing field position and probably the scoring probability that follows your next possession because it's likely that you know a team that's backed up at its own one or two yard line isn't exactly going to move the football 98 yards. Yes, it does happen. It doesn't happen that often. So I don't mind going forward and forth and goal in most situations when it's that close to the goal line, but I don't love kind of giving away the advantage of that defensive possession after it if you don't get it. So the math part of it is is always very aggressive. And baseball was at the forefront of this where it wasn't so much the baseball math. It was just that the math people told you if you didn't buy into what they were doing that you were a fucking moron, right? It got like nasty. And it was almost like the old soccer guy analogy that I use. It wasn't so much soccer. It was that soccer guy was telling me I was stupid all the time. So then it made you kind of root and not like uh, soccer or root against soccer and not like it. So in this case, you know, it's a victory lap for the people that don't like the math, but there's just, there's more streamlining of this than, than I think even, you know, any of us realize unless you spend a lot of time kind of reading about it. And and like I've said, there's times with college teams where I go, okay, cool. I know what the numbers say on two-point conversions. I know what the numbers say on fourth and this distance at this situation and how it changes your win probability. But can you block anybody? Like, have you blocked anybody for 45 minutes? Oh, you haven't? Well, maybe those numbers don't apply to you right now based on this matchup. But I was looking at the next-gen stuff, and you can go and look at their entire fourth-down decision-making process and the formulas and all the numbers that go through it. Um, there's a piece up. You can find it right now. It takes two seconds. Uh, week 15, last season, Texans-Colts. Colts have the football fourth quarter, 321 remaining. Score is tied 20 apiece. It is fourth and inches. So the field goal is 54 yards in this case. And if you kick the field goal, you have a 42% chance of making the field goal. Okay, not great there. Um, if you go for it, you have an 81% chance of getting the first down, running the clock, and putting yourself in an even better position based on distance here. So if you go for it, and in converted 81% chance, your win probability goes from basically 69% to whether a field goal goes in or not, which is a less than a 50% proposition, um, at 56%. So basically, you're looking at something that I have an 81% chance of converting, giving me a path to a 69% win probability versus 56% on a field goal that's less than 50. And again, win probability I make fun of just because of how often it shows that it's 99% this other team was going to win. And then you're like, hey, they lost again. So maybe maybe these aren't as cool as you think. But specific to the fourth down stuff, this is what a Brandon Staley's looking at every single time. Um, this is why the numbers when teams are down 14 and go for for two on the first touchdown. And a lot of us are like, well, what the hell are they doing? Why wouldn't you just make it simple with the back-to-back -back 
uh, extra points. This is what the numbers tell you over and over again. Now, I do think there are plenty of games where I'm watching them going, I don't know that I love this call based on what I've seen in the game to that point. But in this case last night, I don't really have a huge problem with anything other than the end of the half going for it because, again, you're not getting that defensive possession. But it was a real weird kind of math argument for everybody last night. The other thing that we learned from last night is what this says about quarterbacks. And what you're always looking for if you have one of these draft picks is you're hoping you get a guy that can can carry a team and the list just isn't very long there are a lot of guys putting up big numbers and you know one of the things I liked about Burrow was in that game a couple weeks ago against the Chargers where there was plenty of time left but they needed two scores and I think a lot of quarterbacks would have taken their time gotten their numbers moved the football taken the easy throws without realizing I actually need to kind of score in two or three minutes here and not use up six of eight minutes and I think that's a big difference from the guys that can carry a team and who can't and I think Burrow will be one of them we know right now Mahomes has been and I think Herbert is the same deal man I mean the first touchdown pass that he had all that arm, all that torque, getting it in there, facing the rush of um, Bolton, the linebacker, who's a really good player, stiff-arming him. Again, that ball got thrown out, but there's just stupid shit that Herbert does. You're like, this guy's nuts. He had another throw, too, I think, to Keenan Allen on the left side where he threw it past Baker, the corner, DeAndre Baker for Kansas City, and even Aikman and those guys, they made a great point in the call, is that Baker's fronting the route going, whatever. Like, I've got, I've got the receiver behind me. He's to the sideline. Like, I've got this. There's no way... Herbert's going to throw it in the bucket, and it's exactly what he did. So Herbert has all these throws, and you're left with, even in a loss, I think being incredibly impressed with him and realizing, like, this is the point. These are the nights where you watch a quarterback play this way and go, this guy can kind of carry this team because we know the Chargers defense missing guys again last night. Um, when Derwin James is healthy, it's awesome. He's just not as healthy as you need him to be. The offensive line is missing some pieces, although they ran the hell out of the football because on the other side, Kansas City's missing some defensive starters and maybe the most important defensive player. Now, let me not overstate this. Chris Jones is the most important defensive player to the Chiefs. I don't know if the list of NFL defensive players is longer than five as far as who is the most important to his team. I don't think that list is very long. Yes, Aaron Donald is the best defensive player, but if you think of who has what on their roster defensively and who the Chiefs have been, when Chris Jones is out, they're, they're just it's like night and day. And I know they've mixed him around, defensive tackle, defensive end. It looks like that experiment is over. The numbers prove that he probably shouldn't have been lining up over the center anyway. Uh, but Chris Jones is that important. And not having him is a big reason why the L.A. Chargers ran for 192 yards. So now, what do we have? We have Kansas City with seven straight wins. They're two up on the Chargers in the division. They're 10-4, and four, and they're the number one seed in the AFC. So I just don't get doubting the Chiefs when Mahomes is behind center, even if there are a few times where you start wondering what's wrong with him because what you're really doing is wondering what's wrong with him because he's not perfect, because you're not comparing him to anyone else. You're only comparing him to Peak Mahomes, and Peak Mahomes is about as, it's about as perfect as we've ever seen anyone ever play the position. And even with his miscues last night, the last three real possessions, you know, look at this stuff. 78 yards touchdown, two-point conversion. 75 yards touchdown, two-point conversion. One possession doesn't really count because it's the end of the game. And then overtime, the touchdown for the game winner. So the Chiefs are the one seeded again, and it actually feels normal. I wanted to just finish here a minute or two on Twitter spaces. Uh, I, I dipped my toe into it the other day. Um, it's just like Clubhouse. Uh, we have Spotify Green Room, which I'll be doing some more stuff with um, coming up probably next year. And so... The Travis Hunter deal where the number one recruit was supposed to go to Florida State and Deion Sanders flips him um, to his school. 
everybody had an opinion on this one. And, you know, with the NIL deal, almost anything is possible now. I know Dion said that's not what it was about. I, you know, whatever. But what I think is is just comical is the consistent hypocrisy of college football fans that it's it's like the example like when a when a quarterback gets kicked out of one SEC school for doing something off the field he wasn't supposed to do then everybody makes fun of him everybody makes fun of that school then he transfers to one of the school that where the fan base was making fun of the kid the entire time and they're like awesome <laughs> thrilled we got him all right because selfishly you're like hey maybe our team's going to be better now I don't care about this thing that I was making fun of this guy. And when it comes to paying players, whether legal now or not legal or whatever the NIL rules are, which nobody still seems to know, apparently there's ways to break the rules. Um, <laughs> you know, it reminds me a little bit when Old Miss landed all these number one guys at their position. They just had an absolute stud class. I think Treadwell was in that. Uh, Robert Condici, whose brother was on the team. And we had Hugh Freeze on. The radio show, and we're like, look, um, you know, everyone's taking their shots at you. What do you, how do you explain how Old Miss landed all of these guys? And Hugh Freeze made a really compelling case. You're like, okay, first of all, you've got an older brother that's already here. The younger brother, Robert Kimdichi, coming out of high school was like the guy. And they were like, then he met so and so at a camp who played in a high school in the Chicago area with this kid, and that's why this safety and this guy. So it was all a really, really good explanation. Again, you know, whatever. Um, the point was is you had other SEC West schools, blue buds, blue blood schools, basically being pissed. It's like, wait, you know, we may be living in the gray areas, but you're not supposed to do it as well. And to see some of the college football voices that I respect, um, I think there was even one guy that worked for Florida State or maybe did radio that was like, this is a dark day for college football. It's like, why? Because all of a sudden you didn't get to keep your guy. And so I went in and, and dipped my toes into it, and it was uh, predictably crazy. I think the Norvell went on, was it two days? That was like Burning Man, however long that thing went on. I'm telling you, I, I don't know if it went overnight or what, but it has nothing on the Lewis Hamilton one that I jumped into as well to listen to what was going on. You had Lewis Hamilton fans so upset about Verstappen winning the F1 championship this year. And again, it was a weird way to end a race for all of our race fans out there. But there were people arguing or making the point that, you know, Lewis may retire because he's so distraught after this decision that is there anyone on the Twitter space that knew the Obamas? Could anyone reach out to Michelle? <laughs> Somebody was like, could we reach out to Michelle and then maybe even Barack to just inspire Lewis? And then there was an engineer who came on who said he worked for Red Bull, but I don't think he was working on the cars. Maybe it was the can. And he goes, Max is dangerous. He is pushing the car to the limits and he will kill someone at some point. So that's a take to put in the old tank bank for uh, for later date. But that, like when I listen to that stuff, I'm like, man, I thought college football was crazy. F1, I'm not going to go on any F1 message boards. I'm probably done with that. But I did experience it for a little bit. And part of me was like, wait, is this how a lot of people think about things? Because that would be crazy. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. 
that's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's. Unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. Golden State's been one of the biggest stories, and Steph Curry uh, certainly at the center of that with the record-breaking chase this past week. And Bob Myers, general manager of the Warriors, good enough to spend some time with us. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff I want to get to here, Bob. But what was Steph week like for you? Because it was it was fun to see everybody care about this record, which I wasn't really used to anymore in sports. But I know you traveled mm-hmm. out to New York for it. Um, he was very you know, honest about what it meant to him. What was this, what was this like for you, for somebody you've watched this long? You know, I don't know how you look at these things. We all look at everything differently, which is our own prerogative, but I'm not a huge kind of record guy. I mean, I just not, we all put our own um, importance on these things. So, so as we led into it, Ryan, I was kind of like, do I need to be there when this happens? And I kind of floated that to some peers um and they're they're kind of like yeah and i said i said i don't know if you'll care and they said well don't you care and i said yeah i I care but um i mean it's it's not winning a championship and it's not you know he'll have his family you know it's he's not gonna and and as i thought started thinking about it more i realized that it is a big moment um and i don't do well at kind of celebrating the big moments so I tried to kind of 10 years on the job, I tried to approach this season as if I'm going to enjoy this season, no matter what happens. Cause I didn't, this isn't, I'm not speaking for the organization. I'm speaking for myself, even as great as we were in those years, I did not enjoy it as much as I should have. So I kind of am trying and was trying to say, I'm going to change that. So this was part of me going, you know what? This is cool. This guy's going to set a record. Um, in an NBA, besides winning a championship, maybe MVPs and things like that. As far as records go, I was sitting with Mike Dunleavy Jr. And he, and at the game in New York, and he said, besides most points scored ever, what do you think the next biggest record is? Is it this? And this was right before he broke it. I said, you know what? It might be. And I don't know what you think, but in the NBA, you know, in, in baseball, maybe it's home runs, or I don't know what probably is, right? Total home runs. But after p- total points, this probably is. And the phenomenon of the three-point shot. So being there in New York, I took a red eye out. Um, had he broken it, Ryan, in Indianapolis, I wouldn't have been there. So I took that risk. Um, but I also knew if he didn't do that, I would go to New York. And being there, and sometimes you make these decisions in life, and you're sitting there thinking, was this a good idea or a bad idea? And as I sat there in New York in the garden, I was thinking, I'm so glad I'm here. And in New York, I'm sure you've been to Knicks games. Um, there's something different about that arena, the history, the character. And then when he did it to see his reaction, I, saw, I talked to his dad before the game, um, talked to some of his friends, uh, and then I saw him after. And um, 
it would have been pretty stupid if I had missed that one. Um, you know, he, he, the guys are pretty amazing guys. We can go into the Steph superlatives if you want, but um, haven't known him as long as I have. It was, I don't, you never know how much somebody cares. You go to their wedding, you go to some, you, you never know. But um, I think I, I was glad I was there. At least I, I think maybe he cared a tiny bit. <laughs> yeah. The New York part of it adds to it too. Cause I don't care who you mm-hmm. are. Once you're there and you, you got a seat for an event that matters, the, the crowd really is different. Yeah. It's not, it's not oversold. It's one of the few sure. things that I think matches the anticipation. So you, uh, we'll do a little Bob Myers history here because I think this is okay. as far as the Steph part of it. You're, your name GM in April 2011. You know, the plan was you were going to kind of be brought along slowly and then very quickly you, you were in charge of the team. Steph's drafted 2009. You do the extension for four years, $44 million in 2012. And at the time, because of Steph's ankle situation, you're like, okay, what, what do we have? We think we have something special. I don't think anybody's even in 12 projecting what we have now. Um, is there any story to share from that moment of you know, it felt like, oh, this is the greatest contract extension in the history of team sports. But even at the time, the reason the number was the number is because of the ankle part. What were those conversations like and what kind of risk uh, you and ownership were willing to expose yourself and maybe on the Curry side of the number that they would still be looking for off a rookie extension of a player who, when he was healthy, was a special player? I think, Ryan, they knew. Steph and Jeff Austin, his agent, were confident that he was he was going to be a great player and get healthy. Um, but also smart enough to know it wasn't a hundred percent, you know, but they had that belief. So in the negotiations, it wasn't as if they were approaching it with any trepidation and we better take this money because we're not going to get healthy. So they were confident, which they should have been. We were a little more fearful because in the NBA, as you well know, if you make a guaranteed deal um, without any injury protection and it doesn't work, that can hamstring it pretty badly. But as I talked about it with Joe Lacob, and it was probably one of the first major decisions after the draft um, that we had to make. And the thing I remember mostly was when you make these decisions, and again, if I had to look back at commentary after we decided, I'd say half the people said it was not smart. Why would you do this? You should wait. You know, um, The guy's not healthy. When we actually did the extension, his ankle was sprained. People don't remember that. He had sprained it in Portland, the preseason game. Um, so he was actually injured again when we did the deal, when we reached the deal, um, or right close to it, or coming off an ankle sprain. I think he played in that game in Phoenix. I remember uh, when he signed the extension. Um, we were on the road, I think, in Phoenix, right around Halloween. But three or four, you know, or a week before, he had sprained his ankle. And so we were all kind of on the heels of that. But when you make these determinations and, and any GM makes any decision, Ryan, we don't, there's no hundred percents ever. Um, unless you're maybe drafting, you know, a LeBron James one in the draft, you don't really equivocate over that. But other than that, you're all operating with imperfect information. But what we decided was, and I think this is smart in life, um, at least in professional sports. We said, let's bet on the guy. You know, that's probably the best decision we ever made. Um, well, at least financially. And then we, you know, keeping him, I mean, it's pretty simple to, to do, not too complicated to keep that guy in your organization. But we decided at that time, let's bet on this person um, and that he'll heal and he'll do everything to get back playing. And clearly, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about the extension was if you look at steps, and this has been publicly said, he didn't want to be drafted by the Warriors. 
Um, but when he did, he showed up and Larry Riley drafted him. Larry actually invited him to come to New York. So he was there too. And I said, Larry, you should be here for this. You drafted this guy. Um, and so when he showed up, Steph was a, was, was a great guy. I wasn't there when he got there, but he, he did everything that the Warriors wanted in, a, in an organization that wasn't well-known for success. And it's a great story about a guy that maybe didn't get drafted where he wanted to get drafted, maybe didn't get paid even what he deserved early on. He signed the deal, but obviously it was a very quick under, you know, everybody realized he was underpaid, didn't complain ever. When I'm talking about ever, I mean ever. Never said a word, never under his breath, never in a text message to me, never into anybody in the organization. Can't believe I'm making this. I mean, he, he wasn't even the highest paid player on the team, I think, um, until about six, seven years into his career because he had the th- four-year rookie scale and then a four-year extension, I think. So eight years, I think for eight years, Steph Curry, I, I'd have to check, was not the highest paid player on the team. So going through all that, um, not a word of complaint. Um, and that's who he is. And then believing in the organization. And it's a good story of perseverance. I think that's what a lot of people lack these days is getting through a situation, right? Everybody thinks Steph Curry walked in the league and Warriors were great. We were not great. We were anything but great. Um, the brand of the organization was awful. A lot of people didn't know where Golden State was. This guy showed up and was part of the solution. And everything he has received in the last however many years he's played, he's earned. Um, so that's my favorite part of him because it's rare that someone that doesn't get what they deserve in a contract or maybe goes somewhere they don't want to go or has to kind of wait on an organization to catch up to the, to the premier organizations, that they do it with humility and grace. And he did all that. So to see him do what he's done, it's, it's almost a story of how things should go for a guy like that. When you evaluate players, you know, like you do the draft, NBA free agency, and that kind of stuff, I can imagine, you know, with your background, you watch a player and you see them in a vacuum. But then because you have Steph and his gravity on offense and just, you know, that's still every night I watch you guys play, there'll be moments where I laugh. I just laugh, see how a team freaks out on a cut and he has nothing to do with what's going on. How much does Steph influence the way you evaluate a player perhaps differently saying okay this is who he is but with us because of Steph this is who we will be yeah Ryan we've had that's a constant work in progress to figure that out um initially we thought eight nine years ago let's put him with a big guard um that can handle and that's why we like Iguodala that's why we we wanted Livingston before we got Livingston we tried to sign him and then we eventually did sign him we liked the idea of letting Steph play off the ball um, and on the ball, he does both, but finding guys that could maximize his ability off the ball that were big and could defend and play and make plays. And so we got that part, I think, right in hindsight. Um, but as we've matured and grown and clay came along and, and Draymond became what he is almost like a point guard for us. It's a constant evolution. The league has changed. I mean, Steph now, what he averages 13 threes a game, people were like, thought he was crazy if he did that five years, just five years ago. Um, we talked for the year. I said, Steph, analytically, our guys say you should shoot 15 threes a game. He started laughing. And I said, I'm, I know you can laugh, and I'm not saying you need to do that, but that is the most efficient way for us to play. That's insane, right? I mean, and, and I know the league had shifted when Steph, three or four years ago, 
I think he attempted 13 or 14 and nobody said anything. And then I knew at that point, this is just what it is. So now you've got a guy, like you talk about gravity, that it can extend and they're going to blitz every time. Blitzing is a kind of the NBA parlance for double team off the, off the pick and roll. Who can play out of that? So you're basically playing four on three a lot of times with Steph on the floor when the team takes him out of the play. So then it becomes, if you know basketball, then you got to make some decisions. If it's four on three, how do you play out of that? And that's where we tried to get guys that, you know, felt the game a little bit, could pass, could move, could screen. But we're not, I think a lot of teams want those guys, Ryan. I mean, we're, we're strapped with how much we can spend and, and you want to also, you know, find the right mix of guys young and old, but we're not, Steph makes it a heck of a lot easier because he almost immediately buys by himself gives you a good offense. So then it's about building a good defense, maximizing that offense. The one time about five, six years ago, I played basketball with Steph. Um, they needed a guy. This was maybe six, seven, eight years ago. The thing I'll tell you about what he does from personal experience, I'm not an NBA player uh, by any stretch. I was on the other team. I wasn't on his team. And I remember feeling like on defense that this is really uncomfortable. And I wasn't even guarding. And the reason why it was uncomfortable is because he extends you out so far of what is comfortable. Um, he puts you and makes you feel uh, as a defender vulnerable because you're, you got one eye on this guy that can shoot from anywhere and his finishing around the rim is, is very underrated. So even when he got to the paint, people think they can block his shot and it's easy to do. It's really hard because uh, the left hand, right hand floaters, um, all kinds of different weapons around the rim and he's stronger than people think but he you use the word gravity is the right word i think he used it um what he does as far as a pull as far as a magnet takes everybody out of position and that that's why he's so good and makes our offense good what's the uh unfiltered bob myers take when you hear the guys from the 90s saying steph wouldn't be able to handle it you know unfiltered Envy, envy. I mean, and also you don't know, you know, that that's what I would say, you know, be careful because there's certain people that you're around that Steph Curry was going to find a way no matter what. I mean, this, this guy wasn't handed a six, eight frame and, you know, 250 pounds and great athleticism. This guy wasn't a Duke recruit. He wasn't the consensus number one. He wasn't, yeah, his dad played in the NBA. And that, I think that's an advantage. Um, but beyond that, yeah, he has gifts. Um, but people don't see the will of him. And, and I bet on somebody's, an athlete's will along with talent, they'll find a way. So if he was in that era, sure, the game was different. But don't, that's unfair to say. Um, I don't, I just think, you know, I don't, I, I think that's, Big misrepresentation. So Clay's coming back. Um, I uh, I've talked with you about hoops, and I'm not any good anymore. But if somebody told me today, "Hey, you can't you can't play for 900 days," <laughs> I would I would I wouldn't like that news. And this is somebody who's one of the best we've ever seen do it from from a shooting perspective. And he's coming back. What's what's this been like for Clay? What's it been like for you? And and making sure he's okay, missing these two years and and being ready to come back because it's a lot. It's a lot to ask of somebody like him. Yeah, well, it's not okay. I mean, I I, I um, can't make it okay. I mean, for the people listening or watching, whatever you love to do, um, 
you know, separate from your family or kids, um, but anything outside of kind of blood, whatever you love to do, imagine that being taken, right? Your number one joy um, is not there for you. And that's going to be hard on anybody. And then, and then imagine you're great at something. You're, you're just, you're just one of the best in the world at that. And then you can't do it. So it's not as if, you know, I haven't been able to play basketball, but I'm not, I'm old now. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, you're at the height of your peak, right? For a guy like that. Um, you can expect injuries at a certain age in life. You kind of say, well, I had a good run and you know, my body's kind of failing me now. He's not at that point in life. So, and add to it, one of the most competitive people you'll ever meet, along with somebody that loves basketball and would play for free. I mean, he doesn't do it for the money. And, and you'd be surprised. You've been around a lot of athletes, Ryan. Not every NBA player, no, many don't love basketball. Many. Um, you know, you could argue at least half. I don't know what the numbers are, that, you know, but, but as far as the pure love for the game, he, he has that. So you know, now you're physically forbidden and emotionally, you got to watch it every day. You know, you got to see it. You got to be around it. And I think that's what he struggled with initially with the ACL. He had to see it. And it was, this is a guy that never missed any games, by the way. I mean, he never missed games. Just injuries weren't even something that he felt would ever happen to him. So then he gets the ACL. And then you add it to the Achilles, and it's human nature to say, what is, why me, right? So you got to process all that. I can't go through that with him. I see him. We support him. But that takes a toll, and you just have to hope. And, and I again, for the people watching, like it, it's not the greatest tragedy, right? There's worse things in life. But um, athletically, an athlete in his prime to miss two years separate from you know, you know the, the the awful things in life is is a rough road to hoe but he's he's had ups and downs he'd tell you that too but we're close and i told people and tell you when he comes back um that moment and and i believe it'll be in our arena i think will be um the ovation he gets um from our fans and i hope the opposing team and I'm sure our players will be the best ovation I've ever seen in my life. Um, and all the sporting events have been doing and the most deserved and the most authentic. And I actually started, I was more emotional at the Curry thing than I thought I would be you know, watching him. I, I didn't think I, I, I started thinking like, because when you, when you have, when you hit these moments, what makes a championship, for me, emotional is you look back on your life. You know those movies you see, Ryan, and then they rewind. They do a quick two-minute collage of how you got there. And it's kind of an emotional thing. When you win a championship, it's not the moment you win. It's the moment processing all it took to get there. All the hard moments and all the ups and downs and who you did it with. And I think all those things, when Clay comes back, are going to kind of come rushing in for everybody. And it's going to be emotional. Um, in a very happy way but highly emotional and it's actually i'm more excited about that than, than anything really for him and for our organization or for, for our fans i'm going to set this one up and it's not going to be the the greatest form in in question but um you know, you've, you've got clay coming back you've got steph you know draymond has been as you mentioned kind of that four on three thing and how people would blitz steph like you you had the perfect outlet i mean to have draymond kind of now be a decision maker on top of the big guards that you had. So you have this group that's really special that had one of the most intense, one of the most uh, historic runs in the history of this game. 
And then you're adding three lottery picks to it, Wiseman, Kaminga, and Moody in this past year. And I think from the outside, where a lot of us make mistakes, is that, well, hey, if, if they have this older group of the three guys, then what are they doing with the lottery picks? They got to flip them. They got to trade them. They got to have everybody match the same age timeline, which I think is one of the most overrated. I don't even think it's overrated. I just think it's idiotic to be like, hey, everybody has to be within three years of each other to have a roster. It doesn't make any sense, but people say it all the time. What has it been like balancing probably some of the opportunities that you could have had to have somebody fit the timeline a little bit more where it's like, are we going for it? What are we building? You have this two-year void. I mean, it's a very odd story and a roster where I think a lot of people have a lot of opinions about what it is that you're trying to do. And maybe it's really simple. Maybe it's just, hey, we, we had lottery picks. We took guys that we liked and then we have them on the team. So how do you balance kind of all these different things and trying to feel like you're maximizing the three older guys while also making sure that you're making the best long-term decisions, which isn't really an easy thing to do? Yeah, so a lot there, right? You, yeah, you, like I said, it was going to be a, a bad question. There. Yeah, no, it's not a bad question. It's a lot to, lot to pro- process and respond to. Um, shaping a roster is like a puzzle, right? Um, we're lucky we got those corner pieces in Steph, you know, Draymond, Clay, and, you know, those are hard to find. And, you know, even Wiggins, you could argue now. And, but you got to fill this thing in. And no GM in any sport does that perfectly. Um, and everybody has different beliefs and thoughts. The public does, the media does, the fans do, uh, coaches do, owners do. Um, and what we try to do, Ryan, is um, find most importantly something that fits together because it's not just talent, right? And it's not just age and youth. It's you have to factor in all that. And you look at, like you said, this notion of you have to be a certain age or you can't have any young guys. History has proven young guys can help you win a championship. It's happened back to Magic Johnson. You know, it, 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 it happens. It, it'll continue to happen. Um, when we won in 14, 15, that was not, there weren't many old guys on that team as far as the core guys. I think Draymond was in his third year, maybe. Um, Harrison Barnes was, was pretty young, too. Uh, so you're right in that thought. Not everybody would agree, but that's what makes sports so fun is there's always disagreement and more, more so now than ever. I mean, when I was growing up as a Warriors fan, I didn't, I didn't know who the GM was now. Now it's almost like whether it's fantasy football or whatever it is, people say, I want to be a GM. That, that was never talked about when I was, I don't know. It was you. Nobody said, I want to be a GM. Maybe you want to play. Maybe you want to be a coach. I didn't hear a lot of people want to be a GM. Now, now everybody wants to be a GM and they're all smarter than me. Um, and they all would have done something different. I think that, um, when you do something and you make these decisions uh, as a GM in any sport, you look at all the things you have in front of you and all the information, and then you make the best decision with that information you have and hope it works. And so when we looked at this roster, we thought we can add veterans and free agency. We thought we could do that. Um, we thought we had some guys coming like a Jordan Poole. We thought Wiggins might be better. If you want to get specific. Um, we knew Clay was coming back at a certain point. We knew that Wiseman was coming back at a certain point. He could be a vertical lob threat. We knew that Looney had some equity as far as how we played defensively. Um, we knew, although the public may not, you watch Draymond in the Olympics, we saw a different engagement level. We saw a guy that was kind of like, okay, I'm back, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be what I was. And that's a huge part of our success this year is Draymond. His mental, I always tell Draymond if I was a mafia guy and I wanted to, get somebody on our team to fix the game, I'd come to you. <laughs> Not Steph. Because Draymond can move us uh, emotionally in many ways, up and down. And 
he's a hard guy to to once the game starts and he's in a certain mind frame, you're probably not moving him out of um, he's a strong minded guy. So if he's upset, you're going to know it. He doesn't hide his emotions. And if he's in a good place, you're going to know that too. He's been in such a good place this year. Um, but we thought that was possible. You know, we thought that we could get that version of Draymond. Um, Gary Payton, we had him uh, in the summer. We had him and watched him in summer league. We saw how he could fit. Damian Lee, Juan, Toscano. We saw those guys playing last year, helping us. Um, and then in the draft, you know, I think you, I would go against what the people say is you, ha- you have to need all vets. You need youth. You need that sprinkle of youth. Um, you need that athleticism. You need those young legs to kind of grow within the organization. Look, is that the right exact way? I don't think there's one way. You, you've covered sports a long time. I mean, every team does it differently. I like our mix. Um, you know, Porter coming in as a vet. Be elites, the guys we like. Igadala is means more to us than he might to any other team. What he does in the locker room, who he is. Um, I can go down the list, Ryan, but but you know, I think what you try to do is build a team you can lose with. I, I know that may be hard to understand, but when you build a team, obviously you want to win. But if you build a team that you can lose with, you might win. Does that make sense? Like if I'm playing something with you and we're playing doubles, ping pong, or pickleball, or tennis, or whatever, and I know who you are when we lose, that's more important than knowing who you are when we win. Because if I know I can live with you when we lose, then we can overcome whatever adversity comes our way. But if you're only a good guy when we win, and then we lose, you lose your mind, you start blaming me, start falling apart, well, then I know we're in trouble. So that's kind of kind of back into some of these decisions and say character and temperament, skill set and all that, and you go from there. I don't know if you'll be able to tell me the truth on this one, but I'm going to try anyway. Um, how close was the debate on Wiseman and LaMelo when you had the number two pick? How close was the debate? Yeah. I mean, it's hard because that year, we um, it was an unusual year because we couldn't bring guys into our facility, you know? And so we didn't get, we didn't get the same access and things like that. But we targeted James. Obviously, we took him in front of LaMelo. And we, we debate everything. And it's always close. You know, people would argue in one guy's mind, it's close. In one guy's mind, he likes this guy more than the other. And we're pretty, um, we're pretty debate-oriented. So it's not just me in a room where I just say, this is what we're doing, shut the doors. So we hashed out the whole thing as far as what we thought. We ended up ranking it the way we did. Um, and we watched LaMelo. He had a great workout um, when we saw him. We knew he'd be a really good player. But we ended up putting, obviously, James in front of him. Our actions showed that. Uh, and so we still believe James is going to be a great player. But the draft is probably always closer than people think. But, but it's different for everybody, right? It's not just my opinion. It's our whole organization's opinion. And I think the thing you learn um, in the draft and the, that I've learned about our players is that, um, especially with these young guys now, I don't know the answer of the draft, or I don't think anybody does for a few years. I know we try to kind of immediately rank guys, and that's fine. People are allowed to do whatever they want. But I think James is going to have a great career. I think he's a great fit for us. He needs to be healthy. He needs to play. But I think he's just beginning um, his career. He's going to have a heck of a career and a long career. And you know, we're excited when he gets back. The development part that you've touched on, too. I mean, anybody that watches and just thinks about the pieces around Steph off of where you were last year, you know, pool. Um, 
you know, had some amazing numbers last year. Now he's somebody you trust. Even Juan, who was out of the rotation, came right back in and fighting. He's guarding Embiid the other night, you know, when he got stuck with him. Um, and then when I think about Wiseman, I think about him being in a, in a different situation. You know, it wasn't easy. This is somebody now who hasn't played basketball for like two years since high school and three games at Memphis and the beginning run that he had with you. But something that I always try to say is like, even when it's disappointing, you have to be understood. Like he's held to a different standard. He's held to a completely different standard where I think if he were a team that was still lottery bound, he'd probably be getting 20 and 10 rolling out of bed because physically, I think he is that special. He has moments physically where I go, there's not really anybody else that's doing this kind of stuff. You know, again, he's not the only guy. So when you say, hey, I think he's going to be a great player, he's coming back too. Like, where is he now, even without the games in his development compared to where he was, where he was kind of thrown into the fire? Um, Look, I'm with you, but when I say I believe in him and think he can do all those things. People think I'm being defensive or I'm just promoting our guy. I, I agree. I think he, he is just like Kaminga and Moody. They're not getting to just go out there this year and run around. Um, their, their minutes are limited. They're on one of the better teams in the league right now. So they don't get that leash um, or ability to make mistakes that a lot of young rookies get. It's rare a team like ours gets to draft guys that high. So, you know, I look back at a guy like Jermaine O'Neal who, uh, Arn Tillman and I represented early in his career and he didn't play for four years in Portland but I remember going to a summer league game down in Long Beach when they used to have it down there in LA and watched him and I was new in the business Arn had just hired me and he and I he said can you take Jermaine or I went down to the game with Jermaine um, and went to eat afterwards and I watched him he had like 20 and 15 and, and I'm watching him like this guy's unbelievable like why isn't this guy playing but he was playing behind Brian Grant and Sabonis, I think. That team was and, loaded, and, by the way. The they team had like was 10 loaded. guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 10 guys. And 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 he was miserable. And 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 I remember thinking, and I was talking to Dunleavy Jr., who works with us, and his dad was a coach. And his head is he said his dad told the GM, Don't trade this guy. He goes, This guy's gonna be really because he saw him in practice every day. He said, Do not trade this guy. And the GM, uh that was Wits, I don't know, whoever said at the time, like, well, he's we don't have room for him. Um, and Dunleavy said he's gonna eventually play. But they were working on year three or four, and I'm sure Arn, I know, was saying, hey, if you're not going to play him, move him, which is fair, right? Everybody was right in the situation. Uh, and then Jermaine goes to Indiana, and, and it's, it, he just blows up, right? So I don't know what James is going to be, but I do know he hasn't had a chance to do anything yet or show anything yet. Three games in Memphis last year, um, we didn't know what we had. And I don't think even Steve would admit, we just kind of threw James out there. And that's hard for a big guy to do. We were posting him up on Aiton and things like that. We probably wouldn't do that anymore. We just, I think Steve was trying to see what he was. Um, so now it's about putting him in uh, a narrower lane and letting him grow from outside of that. I think last year it was almost like the opposite. You saw his first game against Brooklyn. You know, after that game, everybody said, this guy's going to be the best player ever. <laughs> you know, it, it's just, a, it reminds you of how fast things move in this league. You know, this guy's great. Well, now he's not. Um, you see that happen every year. I'm extremely excited about him. Love the kid. Love the work. Um, hopefully he's back here at some point soon. I think he's getting close to doing some scrimmaging and stuff like that. And we need him. We need his talent. We need his skill set. But I've learned in this business, Ryan, patience um, is important. I mean, Poole is a guy that, I mean, people wrote off after four games and said, this guy's the worst player. He's got the worst analytics in the history of the league. I mean, his shooting was, why'd you take this guy? You know, a lot of draft boards said, you know, he was supposed to be 50th. And, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not patting our back. We got, it's not that we got it right or wrong. It's the story 
is relevant because it's indicative of this immediate criticism or praise we live in. Let it breathe, right? Let it breathe. And, and if we're wrong on something, yeah, we met, we got it wrong, okay? Whether it's any draft pick, okay? Yeah, we got it. But to anoint someone soon or denounce them isn't right. But that's, that's I can't change that, right? I can't change any of that. So we're excited about James. I think he's going to be a great player for our franchise for a long, long time. We need him to, to accomplish the things that I think we want to accomplish this year. We're going to need him. Um, and I'm excited, like, like I am for Clay, for James to get back. Two more things, and I'll let you go because you, you're a busy man. Um, I watched Kaminga. I watched the G League stuff. It was, it was all over the place. And then I was like, I just, this isn't enough. I don't have enough here. All right. So I started watching the New York Ren stuff and I was going back and watching his AU and I was like, okay, he's way bigger than everybody else. Right. He's, he's not like crazy, you know, he's not twitchy quick. Again, him next to Jalen Green too made Kaminga look slower because Jalen's sure. just physically, yeah. you know, in, in an yeah. elite, elite level. And I was like, all right, when he's running the offense, it's kind of funny because he's this huge high school kid and he's, he's just destroying some guys. He's got like a little turnaround on the baseline. Like who taught yeah. him that? Cause it's actually comfortable, but I would admit it was, and again, this is just my, my sure. time getting eyes yeah. on guys before the draft. I was like, I don't know. I was like, I don't know what yeah. to do with him. I don't know what to do. With him. And because I think you guys have such a great organization, you taking him, it's like the old Spurs thing back in the day when the Spurs yeah. took somebody, if I didn't yeah. like him, I'd be like, I guess I'm wrong. Yeah. Cause it's the Spurs. Yeah. Um, what was it? What was the Kaminga discussion like? Because I'll tell you, he seems like with a little bit more of um, with with I don't know, if blinders isn't the right word, but like in in a system with you, I'm I'm more impressed in the small bursts that I've seen from Kaminga, where the freelancing scared the hell out of me. I'll yeah. admit before we get to the NBA. So let I me. Mean, I'll answer it. Who who did you like? Um, since you sounds like you study the draft pretty pretty well. And by the way. I'm happy to people think a GM, I guess I'm not this way. I don't um, pretend that um, I don't get offended when somebody criticizes any, anybody, you know, not that you are or not, um, but I don't, I don't act like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm a genius. I got it all figured out, but, but who would you have taken? I'm just curious. Um, you know, look, I, I, I think I once, I, Giddy, once Giddy was gone, I, I'd like Giddy, but I also, you know, I'm not thrilled about guys that can't shoot. You know, I think right. it's a weird thing, but we've had some weird examples like Lamelo shooting in Australia. Yeah, I was like, "This, what is he doing?" Okay, and then yeah. he, then he all of a sudden shoots it at a higher clip in the NBA than he ever has. Anthony Edwards took bad threes yeah. at Georgia. The team wasn't yeah. great. He was kind of on his own. But now I'm starting to just, I'm going. Do I have to like now change my approach to guys that have bad shooting numbers, thinking that they're just going to be better in the NBA? And even Giddy, who I wouldn't call a shooter here, but again, he's gone in front of you. Um, Davion, yeah. I was scared of because of the high end, low end. Uh, if I told you I would take Franz every single day over Kaminga, I'd be lying to you, even though Franz looks immediately like he can fit in. So I thought you were in a weird spot where it felt like physically what Kaminga projects as is if it goes right, then he was still mm -hmm. the right pick. When Kaminga was being talked about as a number two or three or four, that's where I was always pushing back a little bit more. Sure. But I think once he lands on seven with you, it made more sense to me, even though I'll admit he scared the hell out of me. Right. Okay. So a couple things. Um the shooting is interesting because you're not wrong about being fearful of guys that can't shoot. That, that's every NBA team. But what you will see is we played the Knicks the other night. I remember um, early on, Arn also represented Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose has become a pretty competent three-point shooter. Um, he couldn't shoot at all when he got into the league. Um, Jason Kidd, um, many, many players, fight, you know, Jalen Brown, guys out of college. You know, there's guys. The one thing I think you can get better at is that. 
Um, now you can't get taller usually, you can't get more athletic, um, probably can't do a lot of things that you're genetically unable to do, but shooting through reps, you can get better. How much better? That's the hardest thing to figure out, right? How much better can you get as a shooter? So you're right to think that. Um, and we all think that. So we study kind of watching a guy shoot. Is it the same shot every time, right? You know, how much do you need to change it? Um, some organizations, like you mentioned, the Spurs have done a great job of developing their shooters. You know, Kawhi is a great example. Um, so we think, and we thought with Kaminga and a lot of guys, the shooting will get better, right? I mean, we knew we weren't drafting. Moody's a guy we drafted who obviously shows he can shoot. We don't need to do too much with it. Kaminga, the things we liked about Jonathan were a couple of things. Better passer than people think. Um, he averaged almost three assists. If you watch him, you don't get to see him as much as I do because um, practice and scrimmaging. He's got a better feel. Everybody crit- criticizes his feel. His feel isn't bad. Um, he's not going to get 10 assists a game, most likely. But he sees the open guy. He knows how to swing the ball. His defense is way underrated, I thought. He can guard one through five, almost, um, which makes him extremely valuable in this kind of modern NBA. Um, and his athleticism, speed, footwork, you mentioned um, kind of that baseline shot. His post work, um, which is something that we'll see as, as, as we evolve. Very few guys can post up, but in this switching NBA, could he punish a small if you throw it on him? He's pretty good at that. Uh, maybe one of the best on our team at that. But it, it's 19 years old. I mean, literally turned 19 two months ago uh, in October. So he, this guy was, he probably should be a freshman in college right now. I mean, most, there's guys that were drafted around him that are a year older than him. They're in the top five, top six. So we think at the draft at the top, when you build a team, the difference between a star and a role player, the teams that win or are, are great, it's your best players that differentiate you. You, you can't ever win with a, a bunch of role players. And not, I'm not talking about this draft or any other player in particular, but our belief is you have to take swings on, on guys that could become stars at the top. Um, and you might get it right, you might get it wrong. But if you get it right, and all of a sudden, three, four, five years down the road, you have an all-star right, or an all-NBA guy, that is so hard to find that you have to try. Problem is now we're drafting 19-year-olds that have played limited games. You don't really know who they are work ethic-wise. You and I at 19, we didn't have any, we were probably a mess, to be honest. I mean, we didn't know who we were, our work ethic, how we would deal with money, success, pressure. Um, So that's the hardest thing we do. It's not necessarily watching their physical abilities. It's seeing what they'll become mentally. That's, I think, the biggest challenge. But what we saw in Kaminga was great upside. He's a great kid. Um, and on our team, he's, he's just not going to get the same run. But, you know, we, it's coming. If you watched him behind the scenes and saw him and got to see him as much as we would, you would you'd probably be more impressed. I'm not trying to sell him, but I think he's going to be a really good player. No, I'm not taking it that way because I think you said something really smart about Jalen Brown. Is that When I talked to the Celtics after the fact about Jalen, you know, just to be at the combine and you run into somebody and be like, hey, what'd you see with Jalen? Because it was pretty messy at Cal. And it's a lot of the same things that you're saying about Kaminga. Not that they're the same profile of player, but it's the profile of the pick of like, hey, kind of where you're at in the draft, looking at the other options around it. You know, physically, does this guy project if, it, if he figures the basketball part of it right is like a really, really special kind of, Again, movement is is a word I use a little bit too much, but I get it. I get like the similarities there of like this this guy has a chance though because he fits some of this profile stuff that we like. Um, I don't want to stay on that any longer because I want to finish with this one. You said something at the top that I thought was really interesting, so I want to circle back to it. 
you're putting together this legendary run, finals five straight years, and you said you didn't really enjoy it. How do you enjoy it now in comparison to when you were winning all the time and you somehow weren't enjoying it? What have you done for yourself? Um, I'm not saying I'm succeeding. I, I'm trying. Um, you know, probably being a little older, not that I'm old, but looking back, it's kind of like you get to do, maybe this is a bad example, but we always talk about, if I could go back to my senior high school, you know, you look back and I wouldn't have worried so much, or I would have just enjoyed it more, looked around. I think um, when we went to our first finals, I called Sam Presti and I said, I called a few people. I called Mitch, I called Pat Riley, and I called Sam. I said, any advice? And they all had very, they're very different guys. So they all had different advice. Um, Pat was mostly about how to win. <laughs> You're telling me Pat Riley and <laughs> yeah, Sam Presti yeah, are different? Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, they both want to win, but, 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 um, but Sam, I remember what he told me, he said, look around, you know, before the games, look around as, as it's happening. And I kind of thought, what do you mean? Um, means more now to me then, uh, because that's what I'm trying to do is look around and see, you know, take it in. And I think, um, what I have learned is my favorite parts of that journey. And even now for me, Ryan, is if you came to my house right now or I took a video tour, it'd be hard to find a warrior's anything in the house. I mean, it's, it's my kids have some shirts and the, the rings are in a safe, but I don't have, it just looks like a house with three girls and two cats in it. Uh, no dog. Um, so I, love the people you know that have come in and out along the way like getting to know durant um uh you know having all the guys like david west come through having been on this journey with the guys that are still here draymond and and steph and clay and Iguodala coming back and um because i think at the end of this when i'm done or you know i i i'm kicked out i want to have the relationships with people that's all I want. I don't need a signed Curry jersey in my den. I don't need a picture. Um, when we went to the White House. Um, I want to be able to call Draymond and say, let's go get something to eat or call Kevin or, you know, see Iguodala and, you know, say how your kid's doing. And that's all I want. And so that's where I put my work and energy into. Uh, I want to, I, I want to, when it's ever, whenever Steve and I are done, you know, I want it to be all good. And it will be. There's nothing that's going to mess that up. But but people think, oh, sure, you guys. That's hard to do. Most GMs and coaches don't like each other. I will not let anything affect my relationship with Steve. Win or lose, that's not. Because that's that's my gift. That's not what the fans and anybody else cares about. I care about my relationship. That's what I get. Um, yes, I get whatever. You know, you, you, you get um, you, you, you get paid. You get things like that. You, you get, get a ring. But what I want is the relationship. So enjoying those, right? I'm trying to enjoy those. You know, you see a guy like Iguodala who was here and he was gone. And it's kind of like a friend that came back. Talking to a guy like that, going on now eight years with Steve, going on 10 years with our owner, the people I work with, uh, bringing Livingston back in the organization, um, working with him. That is not whether we win or lose our game tonight. That stuff shouldn't change. But in an industry where all that matters to most people is the winning and losing, which is that, that's fine. Everybody can look at it however they want. When we won 73 games and set that record and lost in the finals, many people, many people said that's a failure. 
And I learned then, I said, that's not my definition of the season. You can have that if you want, but I know what went into that season. And I know how hard these guys try. And I remember watching that game seven and seeing the Cavs and our players literally exhausted, exhausted in game seven. Nobody could score. And I'm watching that game thinking, these guys, them and us, are giving every single ounce of effort they can give to win this game and enjoying that part of it. And knowing that whoever won that earned it, they earned it. They beat us, they earned it. But that didn't take away the 73 wins. You could say now, or when we get off this, like, yeah, but it doesn't mean anything because you lost. And I'd say, Ryan, you're allowed to say that, but I don't have to say that. So coming into this season, it's about me trying to kind of take that approach, but it ain't easy. You know, it ain't, it ain't easy. And maybe let's talk at the end of the year and see how, see how well I did at that. Well, I know you'll enjoy Clay's return. So uh, have, yes, let yourself have some fun that night. Thanks a lot, man. All right, man. Thanks, Ryan. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice is... The email is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Okay, guys, we got Saruti back in the mix, by the way. How was your vacation? It was good. Uh, a little Napa Valley action. Saw the in-laws. Drank some- I'm not a big wine guy, though, so Napa was kind of weird for me. And they're like, all right, here's a shard or here's a cab. And I didn't, I didn't know shit about anything, um, but it was all good. So that was cool. You don't know the difference prior to this trip between a Chardonnay and a cab? I do now, uh, but no, not prior. I mean, I think I think I knew I think I knew a Chardonnay was a white, and isn't that like you know that's like the white mom wine? I believe it's Chardonnay, a little buttery aftertaste there. It wasn't my favorite one. Uh, big Cab guy now, big Pinot Noir guy. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my first like toe dip into like the wine scene, and that uh, was good. Felt a little racist. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. I, this is. <laughs> That's what the stereotype is. That's what all like the, the Somaliers out there kept saying, like, oh, this is, you know, the, the white older white women typically like Chardonnays. I'm like, well, I guess is it weird that I like it? I don't know. No, it's not weird. Um, a big rosé guy, mostly because of Rick Ross, too. But yeah, you like rosé. I do like rosé. Yeah, but I, that's a summer one. I, I learned that we only drink that in the summer. 
Okay, fair. Or if fair. you're, or if you're Rick Ross, I guess. Yeah, I like a nice sauv. I'll, I'll have a, I'll have a sauv maybe with, with dinner, but um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a huge wine guy. I had a little Pinot Noir phase, but that was probably because I was dating. Yeah, I was, I'm in that there right you now. Go. A little heavy, heavy, Kyle. I'll drink, I'll drink that shit in 90 degrees summer. <laughs> I love red wine. <laughs> Look at you know you would have fit in well in Bern. It reminds me of a time when I went to Switzerland this past summer. Um, and there were guys <laughs> getting off uh, getting off the train in Bern, which was a little little rough around the edges in certain spots. Um, certainly not dangerous by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but guys just pounding bottles of red wine outside of the train. Just not a huge mask group, uh, very anti-mask, I could tell. There were also a lot of them anti-shoes. So barefoot jeans and drinking red wine right out of the bottle of the train station. So I will, uh, if you go to Switzerland, if you make it to Bern, I can connect you. Sounds very European. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I saw a lot of 401ks out of this group. Younger though, <laughs> younger. So, you know, maybe those retirement ads, maybe that Schwab stuff they see in an NFL someday doesn't hit the same. Yeah, you know, they're not worrying about it. Okay, uh, another business affair that we need to clear up here, Kyle. Uh, Kyle talked about his time as one of the youngest managers, maybe the single youngest manager in the history of Modell Sporting Goods. Uh, it's closed. I Modell's heard. is gone. So you had a lot of people reach out to you, huh? Didn't know that. Didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, somebody said they DM'd Kyle um, and said, hey, Modell's went out of business last year. I was. He had a higher up position. We don't, we don't put this guy's stuff out in the streets too much. Um, Northeast. Very high, high level stuff here. Uh, was let go last April. Um, they hung around for a few months, though, after going through liquidation. Someone bought the name and website, so they are still online, but it's not the same people. Um, they tried to play yeah, it off as a, that's as a COVID issue, but we're told the company was filing for bankruptcy weeks before the first case hit the Northeast. Oh, and he goes, here's the main guy on TV begging for investors in February 2020. Man, that is... That is some nasty stuff. I mean, certainly there. This is all stuff that's beyond my understanding of the, the markets. But um, as somebody who invested in one company that was constantly like taking out loans and begging and begging and begging as the stock price went down, 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 and you're like, you're starting your day watching the pre market, wondering, are they going to take out this loan? Is this the lifeboat that they need? And then you're like, no, they're just finding a way to pay all themselves out and then waste other people's money while all shareholders went to zero. So uh, I don't know if that's the exact same thing that happened with Modell's. I don't even remember if it was publicly traded or not. Mitchell, Mitchell Modell wouldn't do that. Um, actually, it was Mitchell on TV. So I don't know. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was him just asking for somebody to save him. So, you know, not judging, just pointing out Man. there's, there's always, uh, Whenever you watch any of those financial shows, again, I watch a lot of the stuff because I'm interested in learning about it, not because I understand all of it, but um, you can't. It's almost like a GM after the draft. Like, I can't believe we've got these guys. It's the same exact shit. Like, the guy just goes on. It's like, well, what about this? This is bad news. Or what about this number? And how come this? Or be like, no, 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 everything's awesome. Everything's awesome because you can't go on those shows and just go, yeah, you know what? Things pretty tight around here. Don't see <laughs> any wins on the horizon. Could be out of business here in two years. Thanks for having me. You just can't do it. All right, uh, let's get to a couple here. Friend fight injury. Oh, this is good. Okay, 26-1-160. Last weekend, me and a couple friends drove up to visit some of our buddies at a Big Ten school. 
The plan was simply to hit the bars and have a good time. Everything was fine. We had a good time. About 1.32 a.m., near closing time, me and a couple of people from our group went to Jimmy John's for sandwiches. While in line, nice. I couldn't help but overhear another group of guys in line, one guy in particular, slander Joe Burrow. Oh, my God. Uh-oh. I'm not usually very confrontational, but being pretty drunk, I decided to jump in the conversation. Always a great idea. It ended up turning into an argument over who's better between Herbert and Burrow. I understand I'm in the minority thinking that Burrow is better. You are. But the guy I was arguing with was just making awful points and saying stupid things like Herbert owns Mahomes and that Herbert is the most gifted football player ever. I ended up just giving up on the argument, mistakenly told him that he was too ignorant to argue with. He didn't seem too upset at the time. Hmm, That's a bad sign. Nothing happened. Him and his buddies got their sandwiches and walked out. As me and my two friends are walking out, these guys are waiting for us. We end up getting our asses kicked pretty badly. So bad that one of my friends who plays college basketball is out for two months with a broken wrist. He has yet to speak to me since that night. Despite my multiple attempts to contact him, in most cases, I feel like someone would get over this, especially since I feel like I didn't do anything to warrant a fight. But this is different. This guy takes everything way too seriously, and he's the guy in the group who can't take a joke. I'm afraid he's not going to get over this for at least an extended amount of time. Is there any other way I can go about this? Thanks. Well, you screwed up. Um, you know, you jumped into an argument. Guys are drinking. You know, I could say don't do this, but when you're drinking, it's last call and you're waiting on subs. Shit happens. So um, I'm not going to be a moralist here with this um, because I get it. All right. Been there. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I'll never understand. But again, I have a really, really uh, slanted, I don't know, skewed view of this stuff. Like when I hear people making dumb sports points, I do not get in the conversation. I don't. But again, I didn't have a career when I was 20 waiting for a sub either. So um, I maybe I would have been pissed about this. I don't know. So uh, the fact that those guys didn't say anything to you and then waited for you, probably you should have known like, oh, maybe these guys like like the fight and they're so mad about this that like you knew you knew your chances weren't great. Like that they didn't yell and keep it going to show off and stick their chest out and all that kind of stuff at a sub shop. The fact they were like, no, let's just grab our subs. They may have even eaten their subs and then kicked your ass, which sucks on top of everything else. So the question I have for you here as far as trying to fix this relationship here with your buddy, who should rightfully be pissed, do you do this all the time? Um, because if you do it all the time, that's what this is about. If this is a complete one-off and you're not a 160 guy mouthing off to people about stupid arguments, um, then you really there's not you know you shouldn't feel bad about it. But if you do do all this do do this all the time, then you should feel nice. bad. What's that? You said do do. Ah. You said it twice. <laughs> yep, that's right, Kyle. I did. Um, <laughs> at twenty, if he's taking stuff way too seriously and he's this emotional about it, I, I don't I don't really know how I would fix it other than. I mean, what are you going to do, buy him a gift? I mean, guys in their 20s don't really do that kind of <laughs> no, stuff, right? No. Kyle, you wouldn't buy anybody a gift, would you? What, all right, no, what, would you, I what would you do besides not get your ass kicked, I imagine, at this stage? But go ahead. What would you do? It would just, it, it would be a real sorry. But honestly, if it's going past that, it's like, come on, that guy's a maniac. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's hard for me to put myself in that position. Like, I would, we'd have to be arguing about something else. I wouldn't just be like, oh, your quarterback's not my favorite quarterback. Like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. It's, there's uh, there's a time and a place for that, I think. And it's usually among friends, not among strangers. Um, but so if we got our ass kicked, I would just have to say, like, you know, I would say sorry, absolutely. But I'm not saying it more than twice. That's for sure. So you'd be fine. Because even though it's your fault fine. and your friend broke his wrist, can't play 
college basketball. If he doesn't accept your apology after two months, you'd be fine never being friends with him again. No, I mean, he would just have to he would have to be continuously not being friends with me. If we're in the same group, we're in a group of guys We might even fucking live together, dude. I don't know how it works. I'm just saying, like, I, I would just I would let the time heal. I mean, he's going to have to be uh, healing anyway. But um, I just I mean, what's was there to do? There's nothing to do. There's nothing to do. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I don't know what the expectation here would be. I mean, he's young. Like I remember when I was in college, I got into like a heated argument about um, we take the whalers pretty seriously up here. And when we were t- <laughs> some guy was like disrespecting Brendan Shanahan. I got so irrationally mad about it. Uh, and not to the point where like I would have never fought this guy over it, but I was so pissed off. And, you know, you just kind of grow out of that. So I don't think you're actually like a huge dick just because you argued about Joe Burrow at a sub shop. But I think what you said, Ryan, like, yeah, if it's if it's like a habit, maybe like check yourself. But if it's a one time thing and this guy got hurt, like, and you just say, I'm sorry, maybe you buy him a couple subs here and there because you guys like going out to get subs. But there's really not much <laughs> more that you can do other than say, hey, dude, it, it kind of got weird. That's my bad. <laughs> Him some subs uh yeah like the older me is not doing a good enough job realizing how little i probably would have cared at 20 but you know clearly this guy cares he, he even though the friend may be a hothead there's something that tells me the guy writing the email this isn't your first time like if you felt compelled to argue about burrow with strangers um that my guess would be when you get drunk sometimes you probably make some dumb arguments which you know is not specific to you but that's what you have to figure out. Is your friend mad because this is a pattern or is your friend mad because he gets irrationally mad about a one-off and then there's not really much you can do. I could tell you as an older person, if you care that much about the relationship, just show up to his house, reach out, do something that would surprise him. You know what I mean? Send him, send him a gift card at Jersey Mike's. I don't know, 50 bucks. I mean, 50 bucks at 20 sucks. That would, that would have ruined like a week for me. But um, if you care that much, and it is a pattern that maybe you do something like that. But at 20, you know, look, guys don't do a very good job with this stuff ever. 20 is probably the worst time, you know, when you're actually developing real relationships. Because prior to that, like, who cares about 15 years old? But, um, I mean, there, there are things that you could do. But if he's not going to want to talk to you, then you're going to have to do something that surprises him with an act that shows that you're sorry. Although, I got to get back to Saruti being heated about the Whalers. Because you are... You're not a Boston fan. You're not a New York fan. You like the Niners. You like the Orlando Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, you being prideful about the Whalers because you're from Connecticut shocks me because I could think of you in the 1700s just going like, look, it's, <laughs> it's you know, we're there, it's their boats. The only reason we're even here in the new world is because of England's boats. So, <laughs> you know, you guys want to start a revolution. If it wasn't for the English, like we're all sort of English. I could see you being a loyalist. So that surprises me that you would be loyal to anything having to do with Connecticut, even though you've kind of been everywhere else with your sports fandom. That surprised well, yeah, the hell out of me. But well, I always say like growing up in Connecticut, like you either subscribe to the New York or the Boston section. And I, and I just never really did. Uh, but you know, growing up, I went to Wayward's games at the civic center, like downtown. What's up Hartford. Um, now the XL center, uh, you know, here it's like UConn and that's about it now. But back then, you know, the 1997, when they left, like I would go with my dad and it was fun and games. I remember Brendan Shanahan was a fun team. They weren't very good, but like I was like, hockey's awesome. This is sweet. So that's the only team that I feel like I ever had like a personal connection to. So, yeah, I was I was people here. I mean, you know, Ryan, because you spent time here. Like, I think the people that are like bring back the Whalers constantly, like there's like a yearly convention. That's a little bit weird. They're never coming back. Sorry. Like it's Hartford. It's not a huge market. Um, but like New England's yeah. rising little star. Yeah, Hartford has it, dude. Don't don't forget that. Uh, but no, when they were here, like, and I was a kid, that was awesome. That was like nostalgic. So the fact that they left when I was, I think, nine or so, it was. Uh, 
I've just never kind of that's always kind of been like my local team, I guess. And do not okay. slander Brendan Shanahan as my guy. I went to a Whalers game when I was in Connecticut junior high and uh, me and my three buddies rooted for the Bruins the whole time. And uh, it was me, three guys and my dad. And uh, the guy didn't know my dad was with us because my dad just sat there, was bored out of his mind. And uh, the whale won in overtime. And these old men that were so mad that we were rooting for the Bruins the whole time turned around and fucking like wanted to go. Like men wanted to go. We were like 13. <laughs> Jeez. And then my father stepped in. And that ended that transaction. So, all right. Uh, this is a weird one. I'm not even sure if it's real or not, but it's so different. I'm going to read it. I steal to feel alive is the headline. 510155. Pandemic has made me a routine slave. I go to bed looking forward to having a morning coffee. I order my Starbucks in advance via mobile app every day. A few weeks ago, I instinctively grabbed a grande, that's a medium, iced coffee and walked out. A few hours later, I realized I was drinking Sean's iced coffee. It took you hours to drink one iced coffee? I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. Uh, he says, sorry to Sean through the email. Not going to lie, I felt a little thrill. The next day, I intentionally did not order in advance, walked up to the mobile kiosk that is relatively unattended, grabbed another iced coffee, and walked out. I felt alive the entire walk home. Such a thrill. <laughs> Note that the baristas recognized me but never used my first name. I've been intermittently doing this ad hoc for the last month. It's the closest I'll get to fulfilling my social fantasy of robbing a bank. Am I a bad person? Yes, for the inconvenience you're causing, but I totally get what you're doing. Do you have some sympathy for this person, Kyle? A little bit. I was really good friends with a guy who would, normally would be a couple, would be like a couple drinks in, and then it's like he stole the ornament off the Chinese restaurant counter, and it's like, wait, what? And it's like we're leaving, and and it was actually a whole thing for that one, and like they they said it cost out. Uh, they had him on the cameras. The cops came and he took that this golden cat that was like on top of where you pay to on the counter. But it was like stuff like that. It would be like, wait, did you fucking take something, dude? Why? Um, and he he thought it was hilarious. And I get it. Um, but I don't know. Parties, houses. Do we just take stuff? I get he would it. steal stuff from guys' um, houses. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bummer. Didn't like I that. hated when people stole shit from our house. I would. I was. Hell, we were just talking about a story about a Princeton hat the other day uh, from college that just came up. Um, well, everybody used to steal North Faces in college. I remember like you go you go to like downtown, oh, you yeah. have, like bar or whatever, or Toads in New Haven, and you couldn't put your North Face down, so you'd have to wear it the entire time, or else somebody was just going <laughs> to well, steal hold it. On. <laughs> let me ask, let me ask you this, dude: If someone steals your North Face, do you steal a jacket and keep the keep the thing going, or do you? Is it winter time? No, with way. no coat. For I you? would, I would not steal someone else's. You coat. wouldn't steal no a coat way. if someone stole your no coat. Way. No way. I have honor. No, that's dude. funny. One time, some somebody stole my coat, and then I stole somebody's <laughs> coat, and I actually ended up stealing my friend's coat, and he was outside with no coat and saw me with his coat, and so I had to run back and steal a different. Maybe coat. Maybe do like a, a, a coat swap that. where you just you leave your coat there and you just take a nicer North Face. <laughs> well, that's when I ended up with that woman's that woman's Columbia jacket from way <laughs> that's back. Right. That's when I ended up with that thing. <laughs> XL woman's. Um, yeah, it always fascinates me, like, whenever I would find out about a guy that liked to steal. If there was somebody, I'm not going to name who it is, who told me about, like, how they used to go to 7-Eleven and get a large Big Gulp or whatever. I don't know, is Big Gulp specific to 7-Eleven? And they would put, 
like yes. mini deodorants and razors and shaving cream in them and then pay for the big gulp. So they buy all their toiletries by filling a big gulp without any actual liquid in it. Right. And then that's how they would. And I was just like, wait, you did that? And it was like, yeah, hell yeah. Like, And so there's definitely um, a thrill, I guess, that you get out of it. This guy sucks. All right. First of all, the coffee thing, because you're fucking up the whole routine, just like anybody taking somebody else's jacket, because now everybody else. The worst one's the bike seat one. I know that they've probably made advancements in locking up bike seats, but that was always the thing at UVM. One guy would take a bike seat. And then it's just on domino. Like someone has to, yeah, it's yes. just butterfly effect. <laughs> I can't talk today. Butterfly effect of, of bike seats where it's just now it's on because one guy decided one person decided I'm stealing that bike seat. And you just start a mass hysteria throughout campus because everybody's just stealing everybody else's shit. So um, I'm, I'm anti this stuff because that just means you're fucking up the whole coffee routine for everybody. So whatever your thrill is, buy, you know, get a video game system instead. How old is this guy? I would understand I when I was I'm not younger. even sure. I would feel like I won. What, I would feel like I won. When he said when I was younger. Intermittently doing this ad hoc for the last month, I, I, I sent somebody that was bored and they just wanted to see what we would say. So, but I mean, do you have, oh, I get it. Dude. Do you have friends? Well, see, I can't really say do you have friends, Kyle, because I think <laughs> we've known you long enough now on this podcast that you are not afraid of a discount. <laughs> and no so listen this was like way back way back probably freshman year of college done but it was like you know i just wouldn't pay for a meal sometimes not like in a restaurant but like in the college meal i just i just wouldn't wouldn't pay for it and um that's not a big deal you know that's not a big deal perhaps perhaps the gps went missing i don't know all i'm saying is like is back in the day when it was like it seemed like I, when you're not thinking about the other stuff and you just, it seems like you won. And because it seems like you lose in so many other aspects of your life. And then you fucking won. And you got a free thing. And because of because of you doing it. And you feel like, yeah, I'm being smart or something. But like once, all you got to do is get caught with for something serious one time. And, you know. But see, you're making it's like, it. Wow, right, this is never, right. ever worth okay. it. Okay. It's never, ever True, worth it. True. But what you're really doing is you're ignoring the bigger picture here. Like where I live in Manhattan Beach, it's a free-for-all with everybody's packages being stolen because you can follow the UPS, FedEx trucks or whatever. It's a complete problem out here because you can hit up a million spots immediately and then just right. get onto Rosecrans and then you're gone. All right. I mean, that's just right. what happens. I watch the videos. It happens throughout the night constantly. And I don't even know how the police can ever stop the entire thing. And so when you sit there and you think like, hey, cool, I'm winning because I, I got all this free shit. Like, do you know how many things you're fucking up? Like the kid's present that isn't going to exactly. be there now, you know, and everybody can say, oh, well, everybody in Manhattan Beach has money or whatever. Who cares? And I get that there's some. That doesn't but matter. It's just not the point is that when you keep doing stuff like this, there's actually like impactful things that you're doing where you're screwing up a lot of things. So um, I'm I don't know. I. I don't, uh, I know it's a coffee and it's whatever. And this guy, if think about Sean, dude, Sean's coffee's gone every day. This guy's probably, what the hell? And then, and you're going to get caught because Sean's going to be like, my coffee is never here every day. And they're going to, they're going to catch on to you at some point. But this guy's, this guy said he's just grabbing random ones every now and then. So from random Starbucks, it sounds like too. And then, you know, the, the rationale is like, who cares? Starbucks, you know, Sean goes, where's my coffee? And then Starbucks has to make them another one. Who cares? Starbucks makes all this money. Like I can understand. Yeah, shout out to bottlenecks, dude. That's how you get bottlenecks in Starbucks. I don't like that. I feel like you made it about and you. And you know what? Kyle. No, no, no. And and you know what happens is no, you're right. I'm I'm coming around now. Don't steal the GPS. Don't steal the coffee. I'm coming around because now what's going to happen is you're going to have to ask somebody who's busy for your mobile order at Starbucks because they're not going to just leave them out anymore because 
Sean doesn't have a coffee ever. So now yep. that's that's the ripple effect is that you can't grab and go. You got to flag somebody down who's making their fourth espresso. And that takes the longest to make, as everyone knows. I'm just saying, like, now it's not going to be the impact is going to be everyone else is slower now because Sean doesn't have a coffee enough times and he's got to he's got to let him know. So eventually the coffee stealers are going to make us all lose. So you're right. Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody expected me to come on the pod and say, you know, I'm pro stealing. I'm down with this. Uh, I, I just... find a different thrill, like jump out of a plane. I don't know. I could do something else. Yeah, I think I think this is like I know you think it's like kind of petty or whatever. And it is sort of petty, but I don't know. I think there's maybe you need to like upgrade the thrill game here to stop stealing from Starbucks. I remember I think I've told the story once before, so you can always check me on these things. But I had uh, a college, you know, friend circle where there was there was one or two guys in the group that like loved stealing shit, loved it, breaking into cars, stealing ski racks. And they started like planning this stuff out. And one of the guys was loaded, loaded. Right. And so, mm. you know, they had some thing they did in the middle of the night. I think they stole a couple ski racks or maybe a bike or something like that. And then had to go like store it somewhere because they couldn't bring it back to the dorm room. And then I remember later on, and again, this is always a weird time in your life, too, because you're meeting guys. You don't want to seem like a fucking narc. So it's not like you're going to tell on anybody. But at the same time, like I, I still would tell people how I felt if I were you know, put in a position where I wasn't offering it up without any prompting, but it was being discussed. And the guy was kind of bragging about it. And I was like, hey, you don't think that's kind of fucked that you just like it would be a lot better if people just didn't steal from each other. Like, do you realize like you're just taking another college kid's ski rack? And who knows what his situation is? Like, you're just going to justify everything and being like, oh, everybody at UVM has money or whatever. And I go, and then top of everything else, I go, the other guy is one of the richest people we know. And he thinks this is fucking cool. And he was doing it to kind of get acceptance from this other group of the friends. And the guy that wasn't rich, that loved to steal, told me, he goes, I think it's great that he's rich, but he understands the value of things and will steal. And I'm like, that's the dumbest <laughs> fucking rationalization. Both like Robin Hood. <laughs> right. And that's who that guy was. And again, like, he was a friend. Other than that, like I still was friends with him. I loved hanging out with him and all this different stuff. But he was so convincing of himself, like not convincing to anybody else, but his rationalization, the way he would be like, well, no, it's actually great that he's rich and steals because he doesn't think he's above it. And we're like, okay, good luck in life with that approach. <laughs> Let's get to another email. We got some time here. All right. Stat 65. Yo, 205, 25. He's giving us his vaccination deal. Okay. Got it. Drink of choice is whiskey. Check out Wyoming whiskey. Uh, actually, I did. I put on 30 pounds at the gym over the past year, but the joints are starting to wear down. So you went from 175 to 205 in a year at 25 years old? Maybe. Um, haven't cut hair since COVID started. I've had people tell me I look like Tarzan, Fabio, or even Thor. I can tell you there's one that's a lot better than the other two. Wow, good for yeah. you, dude. Very easygoing guy. Tends to avoid conflict. Helps me get along with everyone I meet. I don't know. I feel, I feel like this one's real, though, although the setup to this felt kind of. All right. So here we go. A couple months ago, my girlfriend, now of six months, and I booked our trip. I booked a trip together, our first together, to Portugal for the week between Christmas and New Year's. So this is coming up. While this may seem a bit soon for a big trip, we were both uh, very well traveled internationally. I've been itching to travel again with COVID restrictions borders for the past couple of years. Not trying to be snobby about the whole thing, but I grew up living abroad and have been to over 50 countries. If you need any recommendations, hit me up. That doesn't sound snobby to me. It sounds like any- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds that sounds great. I really love this girl and definitely see a long term future with her. When we first started dating, I was not looking for a relationship, pretty much enjoying single life and 
New York City, but I met her and was smitten. We're both going home to visit family the week before Christmas and then fly out of our respective uh, hometowns to meet in Lisbon. With the recent Omicron concerns, there's a real possibility that both of us may not be able to meet the negative COVID test requirements to get to Portugal. Based on our connecting flight, she needs a negative PCR test while I only need a rapid. We booked the flights at the time when we thought COVID restrictions were lessening without thinking book non-refundable tickets. Dilemma, if she were to test positive and I tested negative, should I go on the trip alone? All right, reason four. I dropped a big chunk of change in my ticket. She paid for her own and I don't want to eat it. I feel perfectly comfortable traveling alone. I think I would still enjoy the trip. I'm sure you would, dude. I'm sure you would have a great time. I know if I were to test positive and she tested negative, I would want her to go on the trip anyway and enjoy herself. I would pay her back for all the Airbnbs and rental car that we already split so that she would just have to eat her airline ticket. Knowing her, she would probably figure out a way to get a full refund anyway. Ultimately, it doesn't make sense for me to cancel a trip that I'm perfectly able to go on. Reasons against. She might resent me going on this trip alone. For me, it's obvious I should go on the trip alone in this situation, but I fear she may not see it the same way. We've both been very excited to finally travel together and experience Portugal for the first time, and I realize going alone could damage our relationship. Also, Portugal might not even be the same as visiting it at another time when there are less restrictions. Also, it is winter, and the beaches would not be an option anyway. Yeah, tell her that. Hey, I'm going to go to Portugal <laughs> alone because you're stuck here, but the beaches aren't even going to be that yeah. great. There won't um, be as many hot people around. Yeah. Also, I may get COVID and get stuck. Yeah, use that too. Hey, I might get quarantined. It might be a mistake for me even going, so I'll definitely have you stay here and I'll go along. All right. Didn't know who else to turn to. This is a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Unless she is the coolest fucking girlfriend in the world. All right? This is not going to go over well. Do you know how weird it's going to be? Say you go and come back. Be like, hey, do you want to see all my pictures from the Portugal trip that we both planned together, but I went on by myself? It's not going to work, dude. It's not. At 25, 35, it doesn't work. The other reason I'm telling you, I tried to do this. I did it. And guess what? It's all I fucking heard about leading up to and then when I was there and then when I came back. And it was a good time and all, but it's just, it just, you're planning, you're giving her a chance. If you guys are getting along this great, and I understand it's tough when you're sitting there and being like, all right, all these different restrictions and who knows what's going to happen. Well, I mean, eventually you're 25. You're going to be able to travel again at some point. All I'm telling you is she may be cool. She may tell you the right things. You've come up with reasons why you think it's okay. And what you're doing is you're selling yourself your own bullshit here. Um, I wouldn't do it because I think, and again, there are exceptions, but I would say in almost every situation, like the idea of you scrolling through and be like, oh, hey, look, it's another iPhone memory. This This is when I went. And had small plates by myself in this amazing little village. She's, it's not going to be cool. She's not going to go again. We'll go again together. We'll go. I'll know, I'll know all the spots now. So, but this is only an if, right? This is only if she has COVID, right? That's it. Yes. And so he's the one with the rapid test. So he's the one who could find out day of, and she's basically is going to know a day before, right? At least. So that's basically what he's saying. It's like he can't even be like, oh, I'm already in my connecting flight. Like it's it would basically be she would know the day before and they'd have a conversation about this is what he's saying. Right. Basically. Yeah. But what he's doing is he's leading up. And by the way, it's also Christmas, like a couple of days before Christmas going, hey, I got a, I got a thought. If you test negative and I test, you know, or whatever, if, if I'm if I'm in the clear and you're not. How do you feel about me going solo? I think you do it the other way around, though. I think you say, hey, if, if I test positive, 
like you know hey I'd, I'd be cool with you going like play it that way be like hey you can go alone i wouldn't have a problem with that and see what she says and if she says oh yeah okay then maybe maybe you actually have a leg to stand on there but if she's like no we can never do that then you know your answer that might be genius dude i don't know i think i would sniff that out immediately if she's remotely intelligent <laughs> <laughs> she, i mean she's remotely intelligent she's gonna go okay so what, what are you actually saying here that means you're gonna go by yourself and look sometimes stuff's inconsistent um, I think it's great that you're totally cool with her going on her own. I get that you don't want to eat the ticket. I understand all that. But I'm saying in most cases, if we're if we're playing the law averages here, even if she tells you, cool, I think that's awesome, you're setting yourself up for like, I don't know, you've been together six months. You know, if this is somebody you might want to spend the rest of your life with, do you want to do you want to go six months in, have this kind of conflict over something this stupid and avoidable? So I would uh I don't know. I think sometimes the age thing for me being around longer, I'll be like, why would you want this fight? Or at 25, I would have been like, what's wrong with you? Tickets not refundable. Of course I'm going. Waves? All right. Thank you to Kyle and Steve. Great week. Great week of podcasts. And uh, gearing up for next week, too. So we'll, uh, we're not going anywhere. We'll be around. And uh, please subscribe. Ryan Russell, the podcast. Ring your Spotify. Spotify.